it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because it is the song that does it end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. That's enough, guys. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because it is the song that Anybody else? I grew up with that show called Lamb, Ch Lamb Chop, I think. Um, and every, I think every episode ended with that song, if I remember correctly. Uh, which it's a song called "Just the Song That Never Ends," and it, you get the whole song. It just goes on and on and doesn't end. Actually, when I was looking for that, I found someone had spliced that song together and, and uploaded a YouTube video that's ten hours. If you're ever if you're ever really bored and want ten hours of that on on loop, uh, um, it made me think of this week's passage. Made me think of that song because um, much of what we'll talk about uh, is kind of the the human condition. We've seen it this week, uh, but the true song uh, that never ends. We all live in the midst of it, and. So this morning, like like Don said, is Palm Sunday or uh, Liturgy of the Passion. Uh, in it's two different texts. There's the Palm Sunday text, which talks about the story that Don said, where Jesus comes in, and uh, and then there's the Passion text, which is like almost all of Matthew 26 and 27. So I would say this week, if you can uh, find some time. Go and read Matthew uh, chapter 26 and 27. We're obviously not going to have time to read all of that today. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> Both chapters are really, really long. But spend some time this week uh, reading those chapters and uh, just reflecting on um, the story of Jesus uh, going to the cross. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. We'll try to hit on some things. But we're really focusing on Jesus' journey the way of the cross. Um, and we'll start by, uh, we'll, we'll go from Matthew 21, and then we'll work our way work our way through. So Matthew 21, starting in verse 6, uh, ending in verse 11. So the disciples went off and followed Jesus' instructions. They brought the donkey and fowl to Jesus. They spread their cloaks on the animals, and Jesus sat down on them. A great crowd followed suit, laying down their cloaks on the road. Others cut leafy branches from the trees and scattered those before Jesus. And the crowds went before Jesus, walked alongside him, and processed, and processed behind, all singing, Hosanna, praises to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Eternal One. Hosanna in the highest. The way Jesus enters the city on a lowly donkey with the crowd surrounding him, singing praises, surprises many within Jerusalem. And that is how Jesus came in. The people noticed this strange parade. They wondered who this could be, this humble bearded man on a donkey who incited such songs. The crowd said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth 
in Galilee. Now, what we don't see here that I find incredibly interesting, that I think really sheds a lot of light onto this story, because it's a nice story, like Jesus comes in, everybody's singing songs about him, they're laying cloaks down and branches, uh, but this is a political demonstration. It is a political demonstration. Uh, this is the beginning of the Feast of Passover. He's parading into Jerusalem. Uh, most scholars think that this was a, a very specifically planned action um, by Jesus and Jesus' followers. What would have been happening at the same time on the other side of town would be the Roman procession. So the Roman governor, Pilate, would be coming in from the other side in proceeding into town. So you have uh, this force of the Roman government, the Roman government who executes people all the time just in order to show how strong, how mighty the Roman government is, just to remind you that, hey, you live under Roman authority, you live, uh, you're living as uh, people in our territory. Uh, so they would proceed into the city to, uh, as a demonstration, like you think of military marches, like it would have been a Roman military march on the other side of town, and here Jesus is doing this very specifically uh, peaceful protest on the other side of town. So what Jesus, I think, is doing here, and what I want to uh, follow this morning, is Jesus combating the myth of redemptive violence. There was a saying uh, around this time, called the Pax Romana, uh, meaning the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was kept by what, do you think? Violence, right? It's the peace of Rome was maintained through uh, not, not so peaceful actions, right? Uh, and Jesus' demonstration is calling this out. And I argue Jesus' entire way to the cross is uh, example, one example after another, of calling out uh, this type of thinking, the myth of redemptive violence. The, redemptive, the myth of redemptive violence is something that we uh, live in today. So let's just, I'm just gonna like go through a bit of the uh, story that you'll find in chapters 26 and 27. Uh, so what you have here after uh, Passover, in chapter 26, you will uh, find in Matthew the story of Jesus' uh, Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, they break bread together. Uh, Jesus explains uh, once again to them that he is going to, uh, that his death is, is imminent. It's coming. Uh, they're, they're confused. Uh, later that night, uh, Jesus goes out to the garden to pray. He asks a few of his disciples to come with him. Uh, he says, uh, the text says that he's agitated, he's anguished. Uh, Jesus is, is, is scared. You can feel that in the text. And he says to his disciples, uh, stay awake with me, uh, just stay awake with me. We know that they are really sleepy, apparently, and they can't stay awake with him. Uh, and Judas, at this point, has already betrayed Jesus. He shows up with some guards. Um, he kisses them on the cheek. Obviously, they, they go to arrest Jesus. What does one of the disciples do? Like, knocks off uh, one of the arresting officer's ears. And what does Jesus do? He puts the ear right back onto the guy's face. Um, Jesus combating the myth of redemptive violence. You spoke even a few weeks ago uh, where we had Dylan and Riley come act out uh, these really subversive teachings of Jesus where uh, 
Jesus says, if someone hits you, you know, turn the other cheek. Uh, time and time again, we see Jesus demonstrating and teaching uh, we do not respond to violence with violence. Here's another example. Even as he's being arrested, even as he knows where he's going, uh, he's being arrested. And not only does he not respond uh, you know, violently to the violence, but he goes even further and heals uh, someone that's arresting him. Um, you might have heard this, but the quote comes from right after this. For all who, who those who pick up the sword will die by the sword. We see this cycle of violence. It's the song that never ends. That we can the myth of vi- redemptive violence is that um, violence saves ultimately. That war will ultimately bring peace, and that might makes right. All right, this is the cycle of violence that was going on during Jesus' lifetime. The same cycle of violence that goes on today. Uh, when Jesus is proceeding into town, uh, many misinterpret uh, during his time what they might have thought that uh, was to be. Uh, there were zealots at the time, um, Jewish people who, who really wanted a political and militaristic Messiah, one that would uh, overthrow the Roman occupation, that would free them from the oppression that they experienced under the Roman authorities, and Jesus comes in on a donkey peacefully. Just not what they wanted. Uh, the disciples, like we said, um, their impulse is to use violence to prevent their friend from being taken to the chief priest. Uh, we see the impulse for redemptive violence later in the story, because we know that Jesus gets taken. He goes in front of the religious officials. Then he goes out in front of a crowd of people, uh, you might have seen uh, or heard the story in uh, any sort of Jesus movie or The Passion where they're uh, uh, claiming uh, they want Barabbas back. And, uh, and then Pilate says, you know, well, what do you want me to do with this guy talking about Jesus? You know, what do you want me to do with him? And they shout, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. Uh, there's this impulse within the crowd for some sort of justice, some sort of inexplicable, redemptive violence. They, they want Jesus to, to go to death, um, and it's fairly inexplicable. But we have this desire within us, right? This desire for justice, this desire within us for punishment. Um, I want to read uh, just a section of chapter 27 uh, where Jesus is now... Uh, on his way to being crucified. He's, he's been beaten, uh, and uh, we'll pick it up in 35. And so they had him crucified. They divided the clothes off his back by drawing lots, and they sat on the ground watch, and watched him hang. They placed a sign over his head that said, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then they crucified two thieves next to him, one at his right hand and one at his left hand. Passers-by shouted curses, blasphemies of Jesus. They wagged their heads at him and hissed. Passers-by said, You're going to destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days? Why don't you start saving yourself? Come down from the cross if you can, if you're God's son. And then the chief priests, scribes, and elders mocking him said, He saved others, but he can't save himself? If he's really the king of Israel, 
Let him climb down from the cross, and then we'll believe him. We claim communion with God. Well, let's see if God saves us, if he's really God's beloved son. Even the thieves hanging on his right and his left poured insults upon him. And then, starting at noon, the entire land became dark. It was dark for three hours. In the middle of the dark afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's calling Elijah, the bystander said. One bystander grabbed a sponge, steeped it in vinegar, stuck it on a reed, and gave, it to Je- gave Jesus the vinegar to drink. Others said, we'll see. We'll see if Elijah is going to come and rescue him. And then Jesus cried out once more loudly, and he breathed his last breath. This is the myth of redemptive violence. The myth of redemptive violence is responsible for Jesus' death. Um, innocent and unjustified. It's also a myth that we see everywhere today. And when we start noticing the myth of redemptive violence playing out uh, in our lives, you cannot stop seeing it. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I wrote in the blog this week that uh, on, starting on Monday, next Monday, the day after Easter, uh, the state of Arkansas is uh, set to execute a record eight men in 11 days. Um, the myth of redemptive violence in this country is let's teach people that they shouldn't be violent by killing them. The myth of redemptive violence. It's everywhere in pop culture. Um, George Lucas, Star Wars, said this, film and visual entertainment are a pervasively important part of our culture, an extremely significant influence on the way our society operates. But for better or for worse, the influence of the church, which used to be all-powerful, has been usurped by film. Films and television tell us uh, the way we conduct our lives, what is right and what is wrong. And when we start looking at the movies and films and video games uh, that we consume, we see redemptive violence everywhere. Any Walking Dead fans? Any Walking Dead fans here? Coral! Uh, redemptive violence all the time, right? Like, ne- Negan uses oppressive violence against the, the people that you're cheering for, and then what does Rick and the, everybody else do? They respond with, like, being more violent, and you're like, yeah! And you find yourself cheering it on. It's the cycle of redemptive violence. Uh, Big Little Lies. Anybody watch HBO's Big Little Lies? Uh, redemptive violence being played through there as well. Uh, I was a big Dexter fan back when Dexter was on. Um, we see this cycle, you know, punishment, justice. Uh, Dexter is uh, a show about a serial killer that only uh, is a serial killer against really terrible people. But you have this impulse within you to cheer on uh, this serial killer in his act of what? Stay with me. Redemptive violence, that somehow this redemptive violence is going to ultimately help someone, that it's ultimately going to end, that it's ultimately going to make things better, that it's going to create the world that we want, and it never works. It didn't work, it didn't work 2,000 years ago, and it's not going to work today. What did Jesus say? You've heard it eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Did I say love your Right? Jesus entire life puts an end to redemptive violence. 
people use the Bible and have always used the Bible wrongly. They have always used the Bible to justify their own violence. Uh, we saw this this week when um, many uh, a politician uh, used the Bible to justify uh, the U.S.'s violent actions back, right? Uh, one politician tweeted uh, Proverbs 11.21 hashtag chemical attack. Be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished. The myth of redemptive violence using the Bible to perpetuate the myth of redemptive violence. This is wrong. This is what Jesus' entire life was moving towards putting an end to. He is willing to go to death. He's willing to die, to suffer. He's willing to be so grieved in the garden because of his love for his uh, community, for his love for humanity, uh, that he's willing to die to put an end to this narrative that the world is obviously been caught up in. Um, our movies and culture perpetuate this all the time, that uh, we will eventually bring peace through war, uh, there will be eventually peace after the bombing. Um, this is antichrist. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of the cross. Uh, but I would say that recognizing redemptive violence in society and culture is just step one, right? So we recognize this myth. We kind of like have that uh, glass-shattering moment that this is all around us, that our cartoons... Anybody ever watch Popeye? Popeye is the same same way, right? Like, same story. Like, every episode, literally every episode of Popeye is the same story. Damsel in distress, Popeye's never going to be able to save her. Uh, what's it, Bluto or whatever? Um, and then what does Popeye... Do? What happens the next episode? It just keeps... The song that never ends. It just keeps going and going and going. There's a reason for that. It doesn't work. But recognizing it is step one. So we have our glass-shattering moment. We realize that we, are, we have been taught, we have been trained from, since we were little, that this is just the way the world is. I always tell the story of whenever I was a kid, I was really small. I had uh, this bully in my class, would always pick on me, would be like really violent with me. Uh, and so I went to my dad, and my dad had kind of like had enough of this. And he said, you know, just hit him in the head with a baseball bat. It'll be, he'll never mess with you again. And what did I do? I went and, like, I took, a, like, a plastic bat. I wasn't going to, like, it wasn't, like, a metal bat. But I took a plastic bat and I hit him in the head. Uh, the myth of redemptive violence for, like, a four-year-old, right? That's a four-year-old playing into this myth. So this is a myth that is so ingrained in us that we just assume that this is how things are. That this is how the world works. This is how you have to, what you have to do to just get by. And this is the myth that Jesus continues to call out with his life. The way of Jesus to the cross is the way of redemptive grace. I'll call it redemptive grace. On the cross, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus isn't out for revenge. He isn't second-guessing. Second um, but instead, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, forgive them. Even as he's dying, he, he, he says, forgive them, redemptive grace. Unmerited love, even unto death. This is the way of the cross. So like I said, recognizing it in culture is just step one. 
um, we have to go a step further uh, because the culture has, just as it has forced us to kind of play into this narrative of, re- of redemptive violence, I think what it also inherently does is it shows that we are always the good guy, right? So we can, we can then go into uh, a very habit of seeing the redemptive violence in the world and say, see, these people over here are falling into redemptive violence. Shame on them. Without recognizing that we are still perpetuating the us versus them dichotomy. We are good at recognizing the evil outside of ourselves and not recognizing it within ourselves. So not only do we have to recognize uh, this narrative that perpetuates in society, but we have to recognize that narrative is deep-seated within us and work to um, to work to uh, grow out of that. The world functions like this, but Jesus We have chosen the myth of redemptive violence over and over and over. In this story in Matthew 27, the disciples fled. We have too. We have chosen the myth of redemptive violence. We have chosen the myth of economy, the myth of country, the myth of work. Uh, The peace of Christ comes in on Palm Sunday and invades and illuminates this myth within ourselves tells us that it doesn't have to be this way in our lives. It doesn't have to be this way within our hearts. The journey to the cross for Jesus is brutal, full of sadness and betrayal, loneliness and pain. But Jesus' radical love is demonstrating God's way of being, calling out the myth of violence, redemptive violence, the peace of Rome, the peace of the U.S., the peace of These are all myths. Um, the callback that Jesus has whenever he's riding into Jerusalem is um, is a call to Zechariah nine. I'm going to read, read this for you. Zechariah nine says, "Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem! Your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey." He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall, the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the end of the earth. The battle shall be cut off. The war horse cut off. The chariot cut off. Jesus brings an end to the violence. He's making a callback that it doesn't, this cycle, the song that never ends, is ending. It's ending here on my way to Jerusalem and I am willing to die to prove this point. The way of Christ is the way of peace, ending repetitive, useless fighting that goes on and on. So this week, may we sit alongside the women at the cross contemplating the love, the grace, the agony, the sacrifice that Jesus made in order to show us a new way of being, a way of radical love, of laying down one's life in the presence of accusers, tormentors, mockers, 
order to demonstrate the radically subversive love of God. And may we put an end to the myth of revenge and violence in our lives, in our communities, and within ourselves. Lord, we thank you that uh, your love for us is so expansive, so deep, uh, that you would go to the cross, that you would die a brutal and lonely death. We thank you for this love, and we pray that this love is not something that we just talk about on Sundays, but that is uh, forever transformative within our lives, within our families, that from this place that we will never be the same again we will put an end to redemptive violence, this cycle uh, that says that this is the way the world is. We just need to suck it up and participate. You show us that there is a different way, that there is hope and peaceful resistance, that we don't have to believe the violence against ourselves. guys can stand. We're just going to sing one more song before we
Yeah. 